weren't terrified just a little bit by what you just heard proclaimed in the gospel, we might have to read it a second time. I come away from this gospel passage, this whole scene, and it shakes me. It shakes me that this community who finds someone hurting, and it, you know, what this woman was doing in the gospel, you don't do by yourself. So it, it hurts me that they singled out one person. It hurts me that instead of pouring in love, they wanted to say, this is enough. You've had enough chances. It hurts me that they pulled this woman before Jesus Christ. It hurts me that they're about to stone her and cast judgment. But it also hurts to know that I do that to other people too. And Jesus doesn't, he's not going to let us get away with it. Because as we just saw in this gospel passage, when the woman was drugged before Jesus Christ by the crowd, it's not just her that's before Jesus, it's them too. And he calls them out. They didn't think they needed to be called out, but they did. And that's what terrifies me too. That I think I can get by just hiding from Jesus. Let other people get called out. Let other people reform their lives. Let other people believe in the gospel. But me, Lord, give me another day. Give me just a little bit more time. Let me go dilly-dally around instead of being yours now. And that's what, for me, about this gospel is terrifying. Is that I get tempted to be part of the crowd that thinks I can just hide and not have to go before Jesus myself. But I'm going to get after others in such a ridiculous way. You know, Jesus Christ, he wants us all before him. He doesn't want it to have to take a whole crowd to drag us there either. And if we're going to have a takeaway from the gospel this weekend, I want it to be this. We should be done hiding from Jesus. We should be done hiding from Jesus. We need to admit that all of us were made by him, for him, to be with him forever. And we need to stop hiding from him today. But there's so many challenges in even accepting that. We know Jesus Christ is the just judge. When he comes again in glory, that's it. The second coming means that the general judgment's going to happen. And all will be revealed. All those deeds we do in darkness, all those things we say that we think no one else is ever going to hear, it's all going to be revealed. And it's terrifying to think that we'd rather hide than have our hearts before Jesus Christ. But even though Jesus is the merciful or the just judge, he's also the merciful Lord, both at the same time. And I think we get too used to hearing the voice of the one who doesn't want us redeemed, who knows how we were made and why and hates it. We get used to listening to the voice of the evil one who pours in lies that we're supposed to chew on or he wants us to. And unfortunately, we buy into. A priest online this week posted an image that had these words that I, I, really, I really appreciated because they ring true from my experience. The devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your, God knows your sin but calls you by your name. The devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin but calls you by your name. You see, one reason we're all 
hesitant to go before Jesus Christ is because of how we see other people. Christopher West, a great teacher of the faith and just a real scholar of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, spoke this week in Olathe. And 1,300 people bought tickets. It was nuts. One of the things he said at that presentation was that we get used to looking at the other. But we don't get actually to the point where we see each other. You know, we look at things and we separate soul and body. And when you look at someone and you only see their body, but not the person, we're limiting one another. And we know what it's like for someone just to look at our lives and not actually see me. The dignity that I have as a child of God, but to look me up and down and assess me and judge me. And that's not where our Lord wants to leave us. That's what happens in this gospel passage. And each and every one of us who just heard that proclaimed squirms because it's so not right. Even if we don't know how to explain it well, we know this isn't right. That she's being singled out for her sin and not all the others. And she's pulled before Jesus Christ and not the others. And Jesus knows that too. That's why he turns it on all them. Let you without sin cast the first stone. And all of a sudden the spotlight has been broadened. And that light of Christ is now on the whole crowd. And no longer can they settle for just looking at one another and judging one another. They have to come before the judge himself and be seen to whether or not they've lived up to their dignity as God's people. And so do we. But notice what happens. One after one starts leaving. And I assume they drop their stones. The scripture doesn't say that they drop their stones. But one summer in seminary, I was in Omaha at the Institute for Priestly Formation. And I'm already a seminarian. I knew how to say my prayers, right? I did not know how to pray. At least by my assessment. At least that intimate connection with Christ just to dwell with him. To be with him. And one of my experiences that summer that really affected me deeply and changed how I pray was praying over this particular passage in the gospel of the woman caught in adultery and pulled before Jesus Christ. And there I was in this scene, pulled before Jesus Christ myself. And Jesus did the same thing he did for this woman. He asked the crowd for the one without sin to cast the first stone, no one does. And in my prayer that day, what was so crazy was I heard those stones dropping. One after another. I heard the sound of each stone hitting the ground. But there was one stone that wouldn't drop. And it was my heart. My heart that was made of stone, not of flesh that bought into the lies of the evil one to be defined by my sin. And even though I heard those stones dropping, they were mocking me because this wasn't the first time I'd been brought before Jesus Christ. Every time I go to confession, I am brought before Jesus Christ, the just judge and merciful Lord. And I know what it's like to hear those stones dropping as I hear the words, I absolve you. And immediately after that, instead of having ridiculous joy that I'm a child of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ, and my sins are absolved, I get tempted by the liar, the accuser, 
to instead think, wow, this was great. The stones were dropped again, but how long is it until you fall? I need to be drugged before him once more. You see, the evil one wants us to be defined only by our sin and not by that mercy of God. And we can buy into that lie ourselves. That's why we need to be intentional about pulling ourselves before Jesus Christ. And I know sometimes when I preach, I'm all up here, and I don't give you something to actually do. But today, I'm, I'm challenging you with four things. Instead of hiding from Jesus, if we're going to come before him, these are practices I try to do. I'm not very successful some days, but I need to do, and I need to do it better. But at least I don't want to tell you something I'm not willing to do myself. The first, if we're going to stop hiding from Jesus and bring ourselves before him, we need to have our conscience formed by the light of Christ through his teachings in the church. What does that mean? That means that I don't get to make up what's good or bad. I have to reject moral relativism. It's not just what's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me. Goodness and evil are defined by God. And if I want to stop hiding, I can't pretend anymore that I get to just make up the rules. Instead, I need to have my conscience enlightened by Christ himself. And so if there's anything you're confused on or don't know, stop hiding. We have more access to the teaching of the church today than any generation before us. On your phone right now, you could look up what the teaching of the church is on anything. And if you're getting it from an authentic church teaching like the Catechism of the Catholic Church, our ignorance is gone. But so often, we settle for just kind of muddling our way through, having a half-formed conscience. But we need to bring our conscience to the light of Christ and stop hiding. So that's number one. Be sincere about forming your conscience well. Number two, I've said it before and I'm not going to stop saying it, go to confession. The experience of the sacrament of reconciliation is amazing because even though we do, we, we bring ourselves before Jesus Christ whenever we come to communion, in the sacrament of reconciliation, we get to have that one-on-one -on -one encounter in such an amazing way, just like the woman in the gospel. Everybody in the crowd drops their stones and walks away and then it's just Jesus and this woman. And he asks her, has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And that should be our experience in confession. That Jesus Christ looks at us. And when we've laid our souls bare and we've confessed everything and hid nothing from him, and we've said we're sorry and we want to try better, we want to follow him, then we get to give him glory and we get to go from that sacrament after we received absolution, do our penance, and risk sinning no more. It sounds wild, but that's what we were made for. If we fall after baptism, that's the normal way to come back. And it is such a powerful experience to be drugged before Jesus Christ, not by someone else, right? Like when we're kids, if we're raised Catholic and have our parents drag us to the sacrament. I know what that's like way too well. But instead, to ourselves, be brought before Jesus Christ because we say yes to that invitation of his grace. Go to confession. If we form our conscience, if we go to confession, it doesn't stop there. Every day we need to have this encounter 
of coming before Jesus Christ. This is something I do struggle with. It's built into our church's prayer, though, thanks be to God. In Compline, night prayer, every night, we have an examination of conscience that we can do, where we simply look at our day. Very simple examination would be taking the seven deadly sins and just going through them. And then if you want to go deeper, then take the Beatitudes and go through them. And just ask our Lord, show me, Lord, where I'm not following you. If you want to simplify it even more, maybe you just don't have that much time. Just ask God, Lord, where did I follow you today? Where did I reject you? Stop hiding. We would be able to make so much better use of the sacrament of reconciliation if every day we would practice going before Jesus Christ in our examination. That's three. Here's number four. It's not just me and Jesus. It's not just me and Jesus. It's us. It's us. If I grow in virtue, my neighbor benefits. If my neighbor grows in virtue, I benefit. If I sin, my neighbor hurts. If my neighbor sins, I hurt. We're in this together. And I think one reason we hide from Jesus Christ is because we think, well, I'll take on the consequences myself. But we forget, we're in this together. Like if the body of Christ was alive in the way we could be, to grow in virtue and to avoid sin, it would be ridiculous. The fire of love unleashed on the world. But so often we hesitate, and I think it's because we think this is just about me. And we give ourselves outs and excuses, and we hide, and we think we'll go back later, but we can't live like that. Jesus Christ made us to encounter him today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow doesn't exist. Today does. And we've got to stop hiding from him. And if we need the motivation to look at our neighbor and see, if I hide my neighbor doesn't benefit, then use that motivation. Realize our relationship with God affects all of us. And I want to make sure that as we go through these steps, forming our conscience, going to confession, doing a daily examination of conscience, and realizing that my relationship with God is not just about me, that we don't see this as simply avoiding sin. In the moral life, we're not called just to avoid sin. That's not the first priority. The first priority in the moral life is giving glory to God. Think about it this way, right? The Royals need more bullpen pitchers, right? God bless them. It's the start of the season. We're going to get fine. It's going to be awesome. But we need more. We don't just need pitchers, right, that simply follow the rules and don't get tossed out of the game. No one gets called up to the majors simply because they follow all the rules and they don't get tossed out of the game. That's what it would be like if we think our moral life with Jesus Christ is only about avoiding sin. That we simply follow the rules and don't get tossed out of the game. Our moral life, though, is about giving glory to God. Why do we avoid sin? Because it's a rejection of the one who loves us. Why do we give glory to God? Because that's what we were made for. We were made for greatness, not to settle. And unless we bring ourselves before God and receive from Him, we cannot live according to the way we were made. We were made for this deep, on-fire relationship with Jesus Christ. And this weekend, if this gospel has stirred you up somehow, turn your heart to God. Please, we need you. We need all of us to be able to respond to God with all of our hearts and stop settle for hiding from Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful that our Lord has reached out and offered his mercy to me every time I've turned to him.
but we can't take that for granted. Because if we do, we'll end up hiding. Today, let us recommit our hearts to Jesus Christ. Let us stop hiding and be brought before the light of our Lord.